Since I haven't really prepared my sermons for next week yet, I don't know if this is going to be the last in our series of the Wednesday theme of Why Aren't You Working? The Language of Lent. What we've been doing throughout the Wednesdays is we've been talking about words or concepts that are very much a part of the historical nature of Lent, very much in, in, as a part or rooted in Scripture, but that maybe for one, other, one reason or another we don't necessarily feel overly comfortable with why or what does it mean or how does it uh, affect or impact my uh, Lenten walk of faith. We talked on Ash Wednesday about dust. Of course, we're putting dust on our forehead. Uh, you are dust, to dust you return. And of course, one of the themes of Lent is to, to realize that we're finite people. Uh, there is a, a, a last day for all of us, whether that's the same with Jesus or our own personal last day, it's coming. And Lent, again, is that chance to remember why I'm here, what's my purpose. And that's always going to be found in the death and resurrection of Jesus, my Savior. I don't live my life only thinking of my death. I think as Pastor Prem said on Sunday, the, the believer doesn't taste death because the believer sees the last day as the continuation or the beginning of eternal life. It's, it's not about death. It's actually about living. We talked about the fact that quite frequently Lent turns into a kind of a personal deal for us. What am I going to do for Lent? Or what am I not going to do for Lent? Not that that's a bad thing. I hope all of you maybe have thought that through. But to understand the bigger message that goes on during Lent is what is God saying to all of us. God speaks quite frequently to all his people at the same time. This is a body celebration. And then when you imagine going through this, uh, Satan would have you think you're going through it alone. You're not alone. You have your fellow brothers and sisters around the world, but you specifically have the people of this congregation. And therefore, the encouragement for us to kind of connect with each other week after week. So we never come here thinking, well, I, you know, who's going to show up today? Well, my buddies are going to show up. We talked about being here. This is a family event. Lent, uh, <clears throat> we also talked, is a time of penance, uh, a time of repentance. And it's, that's not 40 days of beating yourself up, but it's 40 days of realizing why Jesus had to die for you. Flat out, you're a sinner. There is no good within you outside of Christ. And yet that's exactly why Jesus came into this world, to forgive you your sins, to give you a new life in himself. So why don't we repent? Why don't we own up to our sins? It's not like nobody else knows about them. And when we do that, it changes our relationship with God because we become even more aware of why he has to save us, but it also changes our relationship with each other. I'm not your judge and you're not my judge. My role in life is not to tell you what to do. Hopefully your role in your life is not to tell me what to do. Um, but that's how we live sometimes, isn't it? Penance puts everything into the right perspective of repenting. We talked about fasting. Not so much really the act of giving up food, but really what fasting does for us, it teaches us self-discipline, self-control, whether that be with food or any of the other things that have 
crept into your life that really are not helpful at all for you growing in your walk of faith. We talked about foot washing, similar to, to, uh, to fasting, not that we're actually going to wash anybody's feet, although there's nothing wrong with washing people's feet. Uh, but it's the, the fact that when it comes to service, we can't help but notice that Jesus was the selfless servant. Something as, as humble and lowly as, as washing his disciples' feet wasn't above him, even though it was below every one of the disciples. None of them wanted to do that. And yet Jesus taught us about, about understanding that he came not to be served, but to serve. And as his people, we too, during Lent, look for ways to selflessly serve others. And that brings us to the final, uh, or possible final word, and that's the word prayer. Again, equally rooted in Scripture and a part of the, uh, the history of the Lenten uh, uh, season. Some of you might be a little put off by it because I, I, I think most of you pray. But what we will talk about this evening is how is it that you pray? What is the focus of your prayer? Is it truly a Lenten prayer, as we'll talk about? Our text for this evening comes from Matthew chapter 26, and we start at verse 36. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that is our text for today. Are any of you familiar with Baron Robert Baden-Powell? He was a general in the British Army, and he is known for to be the father of the International Scouting Program. In fact, he is the one that came up with the scouting motto, be prepared. Now, we may often think about the Boy Scout being prepared. Uh, If there is some kind of an accident, you are prepared. You know uh, how to put bandages on. You know how to do CPR. You know how to do the things necessary until others arrive to help keep that person alive. 
you're prepared. If you find somebody that doesn't know how to swim, but they're stuck out and they're going down for the last time, do you know how to swim? Do you know how to get out there? Do you know how to revive them and bring them back, back to store? You got to be prepared about this stuff. You got to think this stuff through before it happens. Now, Baron Powell wasn't just concerned about being ready for emergencies. In fact, he wanted every scout to be ready in their mind and their body for any struggle, to meet whatever challenges might lie ahead of them with a strong heart. In other words, be prepared for life. Don't be caught off guard. History has kind of taught us that, hasn't it? You know, 22 years ago, we were faced with that whole 9-11 incident where uh, our homeland was invaded. And in the aftermath of that, we said, this is never going to happen again. And it hasn't. We can't afford to be complacent in these matters. We have to do things to prepare to be able to see in advance if they're coming and therefore take measures before these things happen. The same thing really does apply to the Christian. We can't afford to be complacent when it comes to spiritual matters either. To push things of eternal value out to the periphery of our life. Isn't that what Lent is for? Isn't that what it's about? It's to refocus our minds on the things of the Spirit, the things that matter. The things that we take with us into eternal life. If Satan finds us, like the disciples, asleep, he can rob us of everything that gives purpose to our life and promise for the life to come. Failure to perceive or to see the danger and prepared for it uh, leads to a person's spiritual bankruptcy and ruin. Ah, oh, nothing's going to happen tonight. Even though the disciples had been with Jesus that whole week, they listened to many of the four prophecies of what was going to come. Even though there was this weird setup for the, uh, the holy meal with finding a, a guy carrying some water in the middle of a crowded place and follow the guy to the place. All this weird stuff is going on. Jesus is pointing out someone's going to betray him. Peter says, no, not me. I'm not going to do it. Jesus says, well, of course you are. Even going out to the familiar place of Gethsemane, it, it seemed different. Jesus was, was burdened. And if they were paying attention, they could have seen it. But they weren't. They weren't paying attention to what Jesus was saying or what Jesus was doing. We find Jesus tonight in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is a place that Jesus often took his disciples to, to pray. It was here that he found rest away from all the crowds around those that were closest to him. There he finds not only communion uh, with his Heavenly Father, but he finds communion with his disciples. But for Jesus this night, there, there really is no rest. For Jesus tonight is, is wrestling with God, our Heavenly Father. 
and he's doing it in prayer. Even while at the same time he wrestles with Satan's power. In his humanity, he seeks the presence and comfort not only of God, but he also seeks the presence and comfort of his disciples. He said, stay here, keep watch with me. I got a burden here, and I want you to join with me and be there with me as I go through it. He wants them to be present, not just for himself and his own personal needs, but to prepare them for what they, too, were going to face. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He wants them to find strength from God for what lies ahead. And that strength from God is open to up to Jesus and to the disciples by watching and praying. There's really, this is not a time for them not to be paying attention or to be complacent any more than for us today that this is not a time for us to not be paying attention to what's going on around us, to watching and and to understand what are the signs, what are the signals that we see in our world today when it comes to what is happening spiritually. Being aware of it is important because when we're aware of it, then we are in a position to rely then on God for strength if we're not paying attention are we going to god for strength are we going to him for help and guidance no because there's nothing out there there's nothing to be concerned about nothing to see here but there is and we learn that from jesus himself there he is in the garden he's confronted with the struggle that's facing him that night And he fell on his face and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus would pray that same prayer two more times. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. While he's praying this prayer, seeking uh, intercession from God himself, uh, he's confronted by the fact that the disciples who he asked to stay awake and, and to hold vigil with him, they weren't. They gave in to their physical needs and they were unable to see the spiritual danger that was right in front of them and look what the disciples missed when they slept they didn't see the agony of jesus as he continued to come back the third time even with blood streaming down him as he prayed so fervently for the god's will to be done 
This was Jesus wrestling with the Father in prayer. Now, did it mean that Jesus was afraid of suffering or afraid of death? No. This was an ultimate temptation to overcome. And the ultimate temptation was to overcome the suffering of his cross. In his humanity, he prayed, my father, if it, if it is possible, maybe this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Think about that. What is this prayer really about? His weakness? If it is possible, maybe this cup be taken from me? Well, I suppose if we would stop the prayer right there, we'd go, oh, you're kidding me. I thought you were Jesus. And yet, that's not really the prayer, is it? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Prayer on Jesus' behalf was to be able to express himself and what his needs were, but the prayer really wasn't about him getting what he wanted. His prayer was about God the Father getting what he wanted. And his prayer was answered. God's will was done. No sooner did he pray the third time than here comes the enemy. The betrayer was right there. The work is going to begin. The disciples are going to disappear. And we're going to have a long night of mistrials and misaccusations beating up of Jesus. The redemptive work is reaching its climax. And death is ahead. And now it's forward to the cross where God's will was on display before all, all creation. That's what Jesus asked for. Not my will, but thy will be done. And there we see God's will. The sleeping disciples missed all that. It's no wonder that they ran away confused. It's no wonder that the majority of them had no clue what was happening throughout the night, let alone throughout Saturday or into the early morning hours of Sunday. They miss so much. Sadly, by implication, uh, they reflect our own state and conduct on many occasions, whether that be about prayer or any other sort of spiritual response to what God has called us to. We too need to hear Jesus' warning. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but... The body is weak. How do you think Jesus would elaborate on that today if he was warning us? Perhaps he would say, I want you to be on guard against the work of the flesh. You know, things like greed, envy, lust, hatred, and all the rest. So watch and pray. But we don't. We doze off. And those sins move in on us. Well, don't let the world distract you from God's word. This is where he teaches us how to have an abundant life, how to live forever, how to understand God's will for all of his creation, but, but for us. 
but we don't. We have a tendency to doze off and readily neglect the gathering together somewhere in the custom of the neglect of reading and studying his word, receiving the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in, with, and under the body as the people of God. Keep your priorities straight, he might say. It's all okay to work hard, to, to get ahead, to be a success, to make money, to do things. But don't let those things become your master. Watch and pray. But often we don't. We doze off. We get comfortable with all these earthly things. And what happens? We have a tendency then kind of to put them first in the top place of our life's priority. And what happens? Well, the spiritual life then languishes. You can't serve two masters. We become unaware now, our failure to watch and pray doesn't happen overnight. It's one of those graduals, imperceptible things that happens. Putting God's things last, leaving him out of our planning, thinking, living, ignoring his divine will for our own will. Loving him more than we love each other. All those things is what ultimately leads us to not pay attention, to not be prepared. Jesus' prayer on our behalf seeks to wake us up from our spiritual drowsiness, to allow us to not be asleep and be led astray into spiritual and eternal darkness. Understand, it's not that our will be done, but it's God's will be done. The suffering in Gethsemane, climaxing on the cross, we, is a deeply or personal thing, I would think, for each of us. How important that we are wide awake to it. It's only f- through these that we even have a, a glimmer of hope. Because it's here that the great transfer takes place. The sin of every man, woman, and child of all time. The sin of our past, our present, and our our, our future. All of that is taken from us. All of it is put on Jesus. Isaiah the prophet says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The apostle Paul parrots, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With sin being forgiven, so the guilt goes away, the punishment, the hell that every human being was supposed to experience, those who have lived, are living, and who will live It's all on Christ. This is not how we think, is it? But it is how God thinks. And it is how God acts. He says our sins are on Christ. Our death is on Christ. Our hell, it's on Christ. 
This is God, God's will. God dealing justly with our sin so that through Christ, he can deal mercifully with us. This is God's will. This is Jesus' prayer. It's the gospel that that wakes us up. It moves us to pray, as the writer to Hebrews said, with confidence. Oops, sorry about that. With confidence. Um, This is gospel that's opening our eyes to see the value of of confession and, and repentance. Forgiveness. To be daily in his word to self-discipline, selfless services of others, and, and even prayer itself. No more complacency when you're awake to your sin. No more complacency when you see the agony in the garden, the suffering of Jesus on the cross, and the victory that he won for all of us on Easter morning. That's a great miracle for us. It, it takes away our sin. It bridges the gulf that existed between the people God had created and God himself. It puts God in the center of our thinking and our planning and our living. It makes heaven our home. It snaps us out of any kind of spiritual sleep or complacency to a spiritual earnestness and eagerness. Thy will be done. This is the story of Jesus, and it's a story of each of us. In his name we pray, amen.